Gators come up just short in the College World Series. Today we recap everything that went on in Omaha and preview the 2024 season to come. This is the In All Kinds Weather Forecast. Good evening, everybody. My name is Chris Yanes, your host tonight for the In All Kinds Weather Forecast, along with my co-host, Neil Schulman, who has just returned from Omaha in the last week. Neil certainly seemed like he had a pretty good time out there, and he's going to be able to tell us about his great experience, even though the Gators did come up just a little bit short in the final. But before we get to that, we want to go ahead and shout out our sponsor of the program, and that is Stingray Branding. These folks will put a sting into your marketing and will deliver results that will wow your clients. Whether it's web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, social media management, search engine optimization, marketing strategy, or mobile app design, Stingray Branding has you covered. If you or someone you know needs professional help in any of the above, here are three great reasons why you should choose Stingray Branding. One, it's a veteran-owned business. Can't think of a better way to properly thank those who serve our country than by giving them a business. Two, it's run by a UF alum and big Gator fan. And three, they've got the personal stamp of approval from in all kinds weather as they did our new logo our new website they did the gator good foundation website and they do all the marketing for the charleston gator club they still got more gator related projects on the horizon so if you're listening to this pod and your brand or company needs any help in the aforementioned areas rest assured that stingray branding will more than take care of you to view their full list of services and rates go to stingraybranding.com all right neil well uh, it has been a little bit, it's been a little while since we've last talked, and I know that uh, we're, we'll try to keep it as positive as we can, uh, even though that it is upsetting that the Gators did come up just short in the College World Series final. But first and foremost, just tell us all about the experience. Everybody talks about how Omaha, going to Omaha and witnessing the College World Series ends a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Neil, you were there for the final series of all three games. Just tell us before we get into the game what it was like being there, the stadium, the atmosphere, the city, uh, and your experience at the College World Series. Yeah, it was great. Uh, 10 out of 10 recommend. A plus, 100 out of 100. Definitely something worth doing. I understand why it's difficult uh, for a lot of people to go. It was definitely disheartening to see it. it had, I mean, Chris, it, it's not an exaggeration. It had to have been 40 or 50 to one in terms of LSU to Florida fans from talking to them. It seems like a lot of them just go every year, regardless. It's an annual tradition for them. It's, you know, they, they have made the world series, I think 17 times or so in their history. So they're pretty familiar with it. Florida of course has now made it 13 times to Omaha. So it's not like LSU has, that much more experience being there. Of course, LSU does now have seven titles to Florida's one. So there's experience in terms of winning it. So I, I guess their fans can, can, can more reasonably expect to be there for a while longer because they have experience winning seven national titles there. So that may be part of why they go. Um, but I mean, the fact that, that there were literally 22 or 23,000 of those 25 and a half thousand seats at that ballpark decked out in purple and gold. Uh, I mean, that 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 is kind of disheartening, but I would recommend Gator fans to give it a try. I think Florida definitely needs better attendance there. Of course, that's easier said than done. Omaha price gouges the absolute hell out of everything. I didn't even go through Omaha. I went through Des Moines, Iowa, which is, you know, that's still two flights for me in Charleston. Um, and then it's a two-hour drive. So I get it. It's difficult. I'm not trying to pressure anyone into making a trip that's not possible for them. But if you have the means, if you have the, the time off from work that you can be able to spring it, go, go, go and see the Gators play because it's, it's an amazing place to go watch a baseball game, um, especially compared to most college parks. 
I mean, maybe if if you're like a Tampa or not Tampa because their stadium is not that impressive. Sorry, Rays fans, but um, if you're if you're a Braves fan or if you're um, I guess even a Marlins fan or if you're a Houston Astros fan, like no, it's not going to compare to those parks. Right? I'm a Yankee fan; it doesn't compare to Yankee Stadium. But in terms of most of the college parks and some of the pro parks out there, this is definitely um, a stadium that I would say compares favorably to them. A lot of different things to do in the city of Omaha outside of it. So in Florida would have a day off, say if you go for the bracket play, there's a, there's a massive zoo there that has like a full fledged indoor swamp. It has a full fledged indoor desert that covers a lot of ground, just, you know, cool things to go and do and, and see there. You can definitely spend a day there and the baseball you're, you're seeing some of the, of the future stars of the, of the pros. I think college baseball is definitely doing better in terms of producing more of the MLB stars of the next generation versus the guys that just signed out of high school and don't go through college. You're seeing more success from guys who go through college, um, make it in the pros than guys who don't. So it's cool to be able to say that you saw, Hey, I saw those guys play in college. So I'm at the college world series. Cool to say that. And uh, I mean, yeah, the, the pageantry and camaraderie there is is second and none. So it, it felt like a college football atmosphere there. It legitimately felt like I was in Baton Rouge. So uh, definitely something cool. Definitely something that if you have the means to do, definitely do. And Neil, did you partake in the Jello Shot Challenge? I did. I got I got four of them. Um, I did two on Saturday. I did two on Sunday. Any more, and I was going to get belligerent. So I don't are know. they are they actually good? Are they good Jello Shots? They're, they they're good? solid. They they are solid. Um, they, they do not taste a lot like alcohol unless you have more than one of them. Like the first one tastes like just pure jello. The second one, especially if you do it in, in close proximity, to the first one, definitely you can start to taste the alcohol and then it hits you pretty quick. So I, I wouldn't recommend doing like more than, than three at one time. Cause then I think it would hit you pretty quick. One of my friends who was there did four at once and he, he felt it like it, it hit him pretty quick. So pace yourself. Don't go crazy. Definitely would not recommend like doing it at the pace that LSU fans did. I don't know how they did this. And yes, they were there in massive numbers, but LSU fans somehow got 70,000 jello shots down in the 10 days that they were there, which is absolutely insane. Don't, don't try that. Don't try to sit, break that record, but yes, go and, and take a couple of them for sure. I think I saw something how they're they're uh, one of their big alumni who is a big booster has a lot of money basically just had a whole the restaurant was full of LSU fans and he basically bought everybody a shot and one and then it kind of just added to the total to like that was when they broke the initial record and then they just shattered it as the week prolonged and they kept winning and they advanced to the final but it is it is something cool it's a cool tradition that they've been doing there for a while and certainly uh, I think. A part you have to do it. It's a must do. Yes. If you if you do partake in alcohol and you do drink, that is something you should do when you go to Omaha. And their pizza is uh, good too. I'll point that out too. Rocco's pizza is legit. Okay, so I was I didn't actually even know what this joint was. So it's a pizza joint. It's a pizza place. Yep, it's a pizza place. And the okay. pizza is good. It's like it's it's a square pizza. So you have it's, you know it's not like a traditional like eight slice pie where they're all triangles. No, they're, they're cut into squares. You got like some middle pieces with no crust. You got some end pieces you got some corner pieces with like double crust on them but they the the, the crust on the end pieces are are salted so they're almost like 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 a salt bagel sort of if you know or like a salt pretzel yeah like, yeah yeah, they have, I got yeah like, they, like they have the kosher salt on top of them it's a nice little touch too it, and it's good nice 
well, hopefully one day I'll, I'll get an opportunity to go out to Omaha and try and experience it all for myself. But uh, that's good, Neil. I'm really glad to see that you actually made it out there. And I know that was something on your bucket list and you being one of the probably the biggest Gator baseball fan that I know personally. I'm glad you got to experience that. So, unfortunately, we have to get into the business of actually discussing the series that you witnessed in person. Uh, like we did mention, and as everybody knows, it's been eight days, but the Florida Gators eight days ago fell to the LSU Tigers in three games. This game, uh, you know, this series did get go all the way to the final game. Uh, outside of game one, two out of the three were very lopsided, as we'll recap. Uh, but getting into game one, uh, you know, it was prime time Friday night. The stars aligned. Florida threw out their ace pitcher uh, and Brandon Sprout, and he definitely early on, it appeared struggled with the command like he had kind of really all through the NCAA tournament and much of the season at times struck at the early part of games. So unfortunately, he did get off to a tough start that did spot LSU a pair of runs, but the Gators were able to come back and get this game knotted up. They eventually actually took the lead on a solo shot from BT Ryapel, who to that point had five hits or five or six hits in almost in, in, the, in the NCAA tournament, and all but one was a home run. So it was a pretty incredible run for BT Ryapel all the way up to that point. But then in the eighth inning, Cade Fisher, who came in relief and honestly pitched very well in this series all throughout, but you know, missed the spot and LSU took advantage of it, tied the game. And then in the top of the 11th, hit a home run and Florida was not able to answer in the bottom part of that inning. And the Gators fell in game one, four to three. So Neil, just really quick recap what you saw uh, in that game and uh, in person. I mean, Sprout is is a guy that definitely has the, the quote unquote stuff to excite MLB scouts. I, I hate saying this, but he he just didn't he didn't live up to the billing um, of, of being a, a first round pick or being a second round pick or really improving on on that that number ninety overall slot that he got taken last year with his performances this year in terms of the stats. Now the stuff was there, but the the overall results were not there because he did consistently struggle, as you mentioned in the early parts of games. Florida found themselves behind the eight ball in a lot of games that he pitched. Luckily they had one of the more explosive offenses, not just in the country this year, but I think in all time Gator baseball history. In fact, from a home runs perspective, they, they clearly did. They, they shattered that record this year, uh, but he, he just didn't have it early on in games. And I think it, it's difficult to blame the Florida bats for this one, even though they did only wind up with, you know, such a low number on their side of the scoreboard. They hit the baseball. They they put some good swings on some balls. They hit some barrels. And Wyatt Langford's last ball in the tenth inning, which one of the few things in that game you did not mention, that was that was a quality at bat. It was a quality swing. He met the barrel to the ball. And if that ball is twenty five feet left or right or two feet farther, Florida walks it off and wins that game. And we don't go to an eleventh where LSU eventually wins it. And then of course, if the next day plays out the way it did, Florida wins the series. The next day, it didn't happen. LSU left fielder got a great jump on the ball. He caught it. It was nothing more than just a loud out. But, I mean, Florida, from a hitting standpoint, I thought did a lot of what they were supposed to do. Now, they didn't bring a lot of runners home. They didn't connect in in critical situations, which was kind of what doomed them 
in in both 21 and 22. They didn't make it to the World Series, but that's how they got bound. So they're on regionals in both of those years. But I thought that, I mean, against the team like LSU with all that talent, against the opponent that you know is going to be as talented as you and could definitely beat you, I thought Florida's hitters did what they were supposed to do. And it was Sprout who didn't really live up to his end of the bargain. Now, the obvious counter to that is, well, Ty Floyd of LSU sets a record with 17 strikeouts in one game. That's obviously not good. But yet, despite that, Florida had a late lead. Florida had the winning run in scoring position in the 10th inning. And Wyatt Langford did all you can ask any hitter to do, as he consistently did throughout the College World Series. He had a lot of good at-bats, a lot of good swings, a lot of barrels. But he, he just, you know, he just didn't get lucky. You need some luck to to win in the World Series, especially against a team where I think that the the overall talent is is definitely comparable, and it didn't work out in Florida's favor. So it, it's difficult to really put the law put that game one loss on one person. But I would say that it's more on Sprout than the hitters, even though they did strike out seventeen times, which is again not good. You'd like to at least go down putting the ball in play and forcing fielders to make plays on you, but. Again, you have to think that you know, if, if Sproat doesn't have such a rough start to that game, it doesn't go to extras. Or even if it does, Langford would not have such terrible luck that you know his his last ball gets caught. So definitely frustrating, definitely irritating, and definitely put Florida behind the eight ball. But it's just one of those games where the luck didn't go Florida's way and the weirdness of baseball went the other way. Yeah, and we talked about it, Neil, going into the into the College World Series, into the NCAA tournament. This is a very fickle sport, and in I think it showed itself in Game One against Florida in a big way. You know, like you said, if that ball that Y Langford hit when it when it went on, I mean, I don't know how it was from your perspective in the stadium, but from watching TV, when that ball left the bat and just the sound of it, I'm like, that's game over. Base hit, that thing's in the outfield, it's going to fall, and we're going to win this game. Uh, and it just was not the case, and and it's a shame that that happened. And I think a lot of Gator fans are going to be, you know, we all talk about the, the the out at home play in 2011 and the final against South Carolina in Game One haunts us. I think that play is going to haunt Gator fans for a long time. And when they think about this series, they're going to think about Wyatt Langford's ball that was struck off the bat had an incredible. He did not feel like it was going to go over his head from where I was sitting. It was right in front of me. I do have to point that out. It felt like it was hit directly at him. It turned out to be more difficult of a play than maybe looked initially, but I, I just, I, it didn't feel good to me watching from where I was in left field. Now, watching the replay of it, I thought off the bat, oh, yeah, that, that's going to be a hit. How the hell did this guy make this catch? And it turned out he did. But, right. yeah, just, just to touch on that, it, it from my perspective, it didn't look that way. But Yeah, and, I mean, that's kind of shades of what happened with Michael Robertson in the semifinal game against TCU, a hard hit ball to outfield, just played it incredibly well off the outf- at the uh, in the outfield. And she's a guy. And then I think also like Kate Fisher, like Kate Fisher, I don't want to you know bring him down. He played an incredible series, and we are not in the position we are in the College World Series final without him. However, he missed a pitch, and he missed a pitch at a critical point of the game, and LSU took advantage of it, tied the game, and they won that game in extra innings because of that play. If he doesn't miss his spot and he strikes out the batter there, because there were two strikes at that point in that, in that at-bat, he strikes him out. I think Florida probably wins that game. Brandon Neely shuts it down in the ninth like he had been all season long, and and the Gators go on and win game one. And we said going into this series, we felt Florida was a slightly better team. This was going to be a tough matchup for Florida. But for LSU to win the series, they had to win game one. And I think they knew that. And, of course, they were coming off a lot 
less rest than Florida had. Florida had all of everything set up. They were 3-0 their way to the final. LSU had to fight their way to the final out of the loser's bracket. Everything was set up for Florida to win game one, and it just didn't happen. So, and unfortunately, OG pitch too. Yeah, yeah. Not just two strikes, not just like a 2-2 or a 3-2. 0-2. Yeah. That, that ball's got to be in the dirt, man. That ball's got to be out. You know, like, and that's where head. and that's where BT Rypel set up pitch was yep. to be in the dirt and and for him to swing at that pitch and you know it, it didn't happen. It just he missed his spot. And at the end of the day, Florida left a lot of runners in scoring position, like he said. They gave up 17 strikeouts. You can't do that. And that's where the margin of error happens, where you have a play, you, you rely on a play like a Wyatt Langford line out in extra innings that could have been a hit and a win, or, you know, you have your pitcher miss a spot in a one-run game. If Florida doesn't give themselves that margin of error at the end of the game, then you're not even thinking about that. But nonetheless, we are. Gators fall 4-3 in game one. That leads us to game two. Hurston Waldrop took the mound. And I think Gator fans probably felt pretty confident with him taking the mound in this situation to get us to a game three. However, he did not have his stuff early on, Neil. He definitely struggled with command. This was probably his worst start in the NCAA tournament. It's a shame it was his final start as a Gator because I think he had an incredible year and a short career with the Gators. And there's no way Florida is in his position without him as their as their day two starter, arguably their best pitcher for much of the season. But it did not hurt the Gators too much. He did spot LSU some runs, but as we found out later in this game, it was not going to matter as Florida set the all-time record in the College World Series final for runs in a game with 24. And it all got started with a Ty Evans grand slam that put the Gators up 7-3. And certainly when you're up 7-3 in a baseball game, Hurston Waldrop is your pitcher. You have a pretty solid bullpen behind him. You gotta be feeling pretty good about seven runs, and seven runs honestly would have been enough on this day. And Florida probably would have wished they had saved those runs for Game Three. But Neil, what was it like just kind of being there, getting some revenge on those LSU fans and quieting the crowd? Uh, I couldn't quite hear them on TV. No, it, it's it sucks to even think about now because you know what happened next. You know they ultimately got the last laugh in that that in that series, but. For a day, for a moment, it was fun. It was cool to, you know, watch all that all that purple and yellow just slink out of the stadium, dejected. Um, again, it's not like I'm going to take a whole great deal of pride in that because we all know what wound up happening the very next day. But it was it was cool for the moment. Um, remember, Florida was actually losing that game three one after two innings, and it, it wasn't it, it wasn't feeling like a game that Florida was going to you know, win, let alone set this, this unbelievable record of, of runs and hits for, but I mean, LSU was feeling good about themselves. Their fans were into it. Their, their, their players were loud. Their, their dugout was jawing at Florida. Um, And then, you know, the onslaught starts with a Caglione single. It was great to get him involved in the offense. We saw a couple of hits from him, but overall not super productive at the world series from a hitting standpoint. Um, but then Josh Rivera comes through. He singles home the tying run. Ty Evans grand slam. The fourth inning is another run for Florida. It makes it eight to three. And then the sixth inning is where the doors just blew open. It's like the elevator doors from The Shining. Just it all plows out and just it, it's an onslaught that you don't know what happened. And you don't know like, all right, is, are we sure this is 
fill the World Series final? Like, are we sure this is still LSU? Are we sure this is not like an exhibition? Because Florida couldn't do anything wrong. Every every pitch was getting smashed. Not just these you know, bad hop grounders that, oh, it's an infield hit because it's just like a weird bounce. Or none of these, none of these you know, pop-ups that fall in their Bermuda Triangle in the short left field. No, they, these were barreled up balls. Florida wound up with 23 hits on the day and 24 runs. Uh, and honestly, like you said, they could have probably saved some for the next day, but it did definitely feel cathartic. It did definitely feel like all the momentum had come to Florida, and it did feel like Florida was going to win the series the next day just because Florida was abusing LSU's bullpen. They were exhausting all their pitchers, and they had the confidence. They had the momentum on their side. Obviously, didn't wind up translating, but, um, I mean, I, I guess the I guess the, the takeaway and, and the memory of this day will be it was fun while it lasted because it was definitely an enjoyable experience to be in the ballpark for that one. Yeah. And it, you had to feel the confidence like going into game three, you depleted their bullpen. Florida actually went really deep into their bullpen, like guys that we hadn't seen really all year. And, you know, like a, a Tyler Nesbitt, uh, it, it just, it just, there weren't a lot of guys that we had seen uh, before. So you, you thought that, okay, we, we didn't have to exhaust our biggest options here in the bullpen. We're ready to go for tomorrow. We're giving them the rest. And we blew this team out. Like, the confidence should be shaken. But as we're going to find out the next day, that was not the case. Game three comes. It all comes down to this. The final game, Jack Caglione takes the mound for the Florida Gators. And Florida gets off to a good start in this game, Neil. They, they did. Um, you know, they got the three outs to start the game. Caglione struggled in the first inning a little bit with command. But nothing we hadn't seen before. You know, he was able to get out of it unscathed. And then Florida hits a two-run shot in the bottom of the, of, of the first inning with Wyatt Langford. And, you know, you, you, you get you get your Kate Curlin on base, Wyatt Langford home run. You're like, OK, right where we picked left off in game two, Florida is going to cruise in this game with, you know, Caglione. You know, we'll probably hopefully get a couple of innings out of him and we'll add a few more runs and we're going to be national champions. But not all things go to plan. And in the second inning, the wheels absolutely fell off. And the second inning is really where the Gators lost this game. The, the base runners that were just left on. The walks, the hit by the hit batters, and and then of course you can't spot LSU that many base runners. They are going to take advantage. They were one of the hottest hitting teams in the NCAA tournament, and they did. They scored six runs in the second, and then the onslaught just kind of kept ensuing from there. And before you know it, LSU was basically doing to us what we did to them in Game Two, and then it became incredibly apparent that Florida was not going to walk away out from Omaha as the national champions. They would be national runner-ups uh so neil uh thoughts on game three we don't have to talk too much about it uh but i I definitely just want to at least get your thoughts in and um we'll move on from there yeah it it felt good after that ball came off the bat of langford all right he's he's gotten he's gotten a little payback on the baseball gods from that that 10th inning ball in game one that ball is gone there was no doubt about it you could tell right off the bat it was out of there two nothing I mean, I don't want to say Pennyman was counting outs in the second inning, but we're like, all right, just just eight innings more, Cags, settle down. You know, you've, you you hit the first guy with the first pitch of the game, but then you settle in, you got your nerves out, you're going to be fine now. It just didn't work out. Um, thoughts are we're even for 2017. I, I think that's kind of where the analysis starts and ends with this. You know, we, we beat LSU for the title in 17. They got their payback on us. 
in in 23, I guess, you know, it, it's kind of like Alabama and Georgia beating each other for titles. Uh, one in, in Alabama, Georgia losing in 17 to Bama in that final, and then Georgia getting their payback four years later. I guess we'll have to get a rubber match some doubt, someday down the road to see who ultimately has those baseball bragging rights. But for now, it's it's dead even. Um, definitely disappointing to to see such a tremendous team for Florida not ultimately come away with the sports ultimate prize, but not ultimately shocking either. You know LSU has a lot of talent on that team. You know that just because they're not using their best pitcher, I mean, because Paul Skeens didn't go, as everyone was wondering, they'd use Ty Floyd, who honestly wasn't even that great statistics-wise this year, but and again, it's an LSU Tiger baseball player. You just know he's going to be good. You just know that those bats for them, not even the guys that we know about too, like not even Tommy White or Dylan Cruz, but the guys behind them, like a Gavin Dugas, a Cade Beloso, they play baseball for the LSU Tigers. You know they're good. You know they're capable of doing damage to you if you're not careful. So it's not like it was ultimately a complete shocker that they blow us out, but still obviously disappointing. Uh, I mean, the comparison that I made and a lot of other Gator fans have made in the, in the wake of that game was this is the baseball equivalent of the Nebraska game in football in the, to end the 95 season. We all know how the next year turned out. And Chris, I think we're going to talk about next. Florida has a lot of pieces coming back from that team that we're just talking about now, having lost national title series to LSU. Some of the big stars are gone. Wyatt Langford, uh, the, the two starting pitchers that we we let off with in every series, the Friday and Saturday guys and Spurt and Walter, but there's a lot of pieces back and hopefully this is going to stick in them and not sit very well with them and be used as motivation for them moving forward. Yeah, definitely. And and look what happened last year. A lot of these guys came back from the, those regional teams that came up short, the disappointment of getting 0-2 out of their own regional against very inferior opponents in 2021, coming back in 2022, coming just, just short in the regional final to Oklahoma, who ultimately was the national runner-ups last year. And then this year, they come back and make it all the way to the final and almost win it all. And this team was a lot of fun to watch. And I think that's kind of, for me, the saddest part is that I just really enjoyed watching these guys play. It's been a long time since really almost any Gator sports team. I mean, the Gator football team of 2020 was, was impressive at times. It was, I loved Kyle Trask. He's one of my favorite players ever, just his story, but these guys were just fun to watch. Like they had a, they had a really good swagger about them. They weren't overly, they weren't even like overly cocky. I wouldn't even call them that. Like they just had a, a confidence when they hit the diamond, they knew they were the best team that day and they played like it. They showed it and they played with a lot of great emotion and they really represented uh, the Florida Gators in a first-class manner, the university in a first-class manner. And you, when you just see teams like that, you love to watch them. You fall in love with them. So it was just really sad to see them. And I, I think that arguably this is probably, I would say, at least a top three team all time in school history. Just you look at the records that they set, the amount of hitting, the runs, the production. The pitching wasn't always there, but it was solid and it was good enough to win more games than any other team in school history and and they should be remembered for that. So I definitely put this team up there, at least with maybe that 2016, 2015 squad that came up short in Omaha. And then, of course, they finally got through and broke and, and won it. So I and also just for Kevin O'Sullivan, a guy that's now made it to Omaha eight times in 15 available tries and to only have one national title is, is a little frustrating and not in the sense that he didn't do enough to get there or to win more titles, but I think that it's just frustrating that he's been there that many times 
and he's only won one time. And I would like to see him win a few more titles before he hangs it up in Gainesville so he could be amongst the greatest of all time to ever coach the game. So for me, that is the big thing. But Neil... I mean, yeah, yeah, like you you set me up right there on a tee. Kevin O'Sullivan only has one national title to his name. He's been to the final three times. But now I, I think you can say he's... He, he's been rejuvenated. I mean, he, he clearly th- – things weren't right in 21 and 22. We're going to leave it there. We're not going to go into any more depth about the who or why or what. But he wasn't – it wasn't right in 21 and 22. He found himself again this year with a squad that really didn't have a lot of weaknesses. The guys were older. They were more experienced. He's learned how to recruit the transfer portal now. That was something that played out pretty impressively for Florida in this – this offseason that we're going to talk about in a second, the pre-2022 offseason. Um, but he's he's set up for long-term success. He's set up for another string of runs to Omaha now. And really all you can do in college baseball is just get to Omaha. You you can't reasonably ask for a national title. We talked about this with the high top guys. We talked about this to preview the NCAA tournament. It's not national title or bust. It's get to Omaha or bust. Because really all you can control is getting yourself home field for the regional and super regional rounds, you get yourself the home field atmosphere. You give yourselves the advantage in those series. And when you get to Omaha, you're, you're playing against seven other teams that are either as talented as you in terms of LSU um, or they're as hot as any team in the country, TCU, Oral Roberts, Wake Forest. I'd say there's another one that's as talented as you Um, or, you know, TCU, the team that knocked out a really good Arkansas team, they clobbered them with double-digit wins or double-digit deficit wins twice to get out of that regional. So you can't say that TCU is maybe as talented as Florida, but they certainly were playing as hot as any team you could ever have a nightmare about facing off against. So Florida beat all those teams in their pod and got to the final game. You can't really ask them to do more because there's so much – luck and randomness as we talked about with that 10th inning ball off the bat of Langford. You just can't reasonably request Langford to, yeah, go ahead, steer that ball 30 feet left or make sure you hit that ball another, another five feet farther. You can't ask that. Well, so and more you can do is get there. Right. And moreover, Neil, Florida had only lost two series all season long. So the fact that, I mean, they have a three game series, you got to feel good going into that. Like, the Gators should be able to take two out of three over LSU, yeah. but didn't happen. But I do love the point about you said about Kevin O'Sullivan. I do think he's rejuvenated. He's recruiting like it. He's hitting the portal like it. And I think, like you say, this team in 2024 could once again be very special. And certainly, I think as we were going to go through the roster here and some of the moves he's already been making, the expectations for next season are going to be once again sky high for us to get back to Omaha. So going down the roster, though, Neil, you look at it, we're going to be returning a guy like a Ty Evans. Colby Halter also will be going into his senior year, so he will have another year of eligibility uh, to return. You return a guy like Michael Robertson, who played some big moments in this series. Uh, you bring in a guy like Jack Caglione is also back. So you right there is already the makings of a solid roster. Then add in people like Cade uh, Fisher, who will probably be your Friday night starter. Uh, and then, of course, I, I think I also missed Luke Hyman. Luke Hyman had a pretty good year. Heyman. Um, Heyman. Sorry, Heyman. Luke Heyman. Will be, sounds very weird. <laughs> Heyman uh, will will be back for, for next season. 
and then I know I think there's another guy I'm missing. Oh, of course, uh, Car- uh, Curlin. Uh, so you know, you look at that roster. Kate Curlin coming back, and then the leadoff spot right there. I mentioned at least I think in the in the batting rotation, five to six guys who were in the starting lineup this season for the Gators, and next year could make a big difference for Florida. And I look for somebody like a Ty Evans, who, like Josh Rivera, made a huge jump from last year to this year. I could see that kind of a jump for him next year, where he gets hot at the plate. He showed and exhibited in Omaha that he has the power and the makings of a five-tool player. He's a a pretty good uh, outfielder, pretty good arm back there. And then can run the bases incredibly well, can hit for power, can also just get that base hit when you need it in a pinch. Uh, and then you just look at the starting, the pitching rotation. I like what we saw from Kate Fisher. I think Kate Fisher potentially is the favorite to be the Friday starter. I know we returned Jack Caglione. I hope he works on his fastball. I hope he works on his command in the offseason because I think a lot of scouts will tell you he has sky high potential to be the next Shohan Otani in the major leagues if he can actually get some command though and not be walking batters not be hitting batters setting himself up for success because obviously he's a great power hitter he's a great power hitter he knows how to get on base but we're going to need to start seeing more consistency of him at the mound but if he can do that then you have the makings of a really solid rotation next year already you know with Cade Fisher uh, as you, you know you're potentially your Friday uh Jack Caglione as potentially your maybe your second day and then Florida brought in Kelly Austin, uh, the all Pac-12 player from UCLA, who was a starter and can definitely slot in as that number three. So right there, you got three solid guys that Florida, you know, can use next year, Neil. And don't forget about Ryan Slater. I yep, mean, Ryan. He, he was thrown into some pretty, honestly, some bad spots this year for Florida, and in most of them, he did very well. He, I mean, he's the reason we won our regional. We don't win that regional without him and Kane Fisher, but. I would say he's probably going to be one of the guys in that starting rotation. Honestly, Kelly Austin, he might be our closer because I think it's going to be very difficult to, I mean, you're going to have four guys in, in Brandon Neely, Ryan Slater, Cade Fisher, and Jack Caglione. I think you're going to have to make your, your three, you know, your starting pitching rotation on your weekends of those four guys. One of them is going to be relegated to the bullpen I don't I don't see Kelly Austin fitting in there. I see him being a top-tier reliever for Florida, maybe a guy who you can just throw in there if your starter doesn't do well, and maybe he will become a starter. But I just think that Florida has other guys as, as great as, as he is. As you talked about, all Pac-12 coming to Florida is a big deal, and I just don't see a spot in the starting rotation for him. It's, I think it's, it's going to be three of Neely Caglione, Fisher and Slater. Yeah, and that's a great thing because Florida's going to have a lot of pitching depth, and you got to think that Caglione will take a step forward as a pitcher. He, oh yeah, by the way, happens to just casually touch a hundred and one with his fastball. You, you have to think that there's potential for him to improve that command. So you just, you know, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But I just don't know that there's going to be a spot for Austin. And pe- potentially like a, a Pierce Coppola who was hurt this year. In him too, Pierce Coppola. He didn't even pitch at all, and I think if he probably is healthy, He's, he'll I, be a starter. I forgot about him. That that's right. Yeah. He will be a starter next year. If he doesn't get hurt this season, Florida might honestly be the national champions. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's I think thing. he has to be healthy. 
you know, but if he is, that's another great arm, a great option. And I think as we just highlighted Florida next year, while they might be losing some of their power hitters, you know, in a Josh Rivera and a Wyatt Lankford, they're bringing in some guys to offset that. Uh, mainly, you know, Colby Shelton from Alabama, who was a freshman All-American, hit 25 home runs at third base. I definitely see him starting next year easily and replacing that production that we're losing with Wyatt Langford. And then you already returned Jack Caglione, who could very well set the school record next year, or the all-time record for home runs hit in a season. So we'll have to see, but I think there's a lot of great options next year for the Florida Gators and their team returning. So that is the team returning. Now let's quickly talk about the guys that will not be returning. Now we mentioned Josh Rivera, Wyatt Langford will be heading off to the MLB. Wyatt Langford will be a top three potential in a uh, MLB draft pick next year. Obviously Brandon Sprout will not be returning in Herschel Waldrop. Herschel Waldrop, many believe will be a first round pick. Certainly Brandon Sprout will be a fairly high draft pick as well in one of the rounds in the MLB draft. So those are the big names we're losing. Now, of course, now that the transfer portal is a thing now, it's not just a thing in football and basketball. It's a thing in baseball. Florida has lost a handful of guys. Some of the names people might actually recognize. Uh, Carson Feinvold, the hero from the Oklahoma series in the regional from 2022, decided to enter the transfer portal. So we wish him the best of luck. He has yet to find a home. Somebody that has found a home, though, another pitcher, Yol Tejada, has transferring to the Florida State Seminoles. Unfortunately, uh, he will now have to just be victim to Kevin O'Sullivan's reign among the Seminoles. Uh, Anthony Uristi will be heading to Florida Gulf Coast. Salvi Alvarez headed down to Florida Southwestern. Florida also will not be returning one of the relievers who was showcased in Omaha and Tyler Nesbitt. Uh so he has yet to find a home. And then Matt Provesk and Derek Fabian, the mm-hmm. brother of Judd Fabian, will be transferring out of the program. So nature of the beast, but Florida has brought in some big, big names to replace some of that production. And one name that I did forget to mention, who's not going to the MLB, but is pretty much the heart and soul of this team. And that is catcher BT Ryapel, who had an incredible career at Florida, an incredible run in Omaha and through the NCAA tournament. He is not turning pro. He is going to be going into the world of finance. He is officially a fibro and he's actually moving down to my neck of the woods in Tampa, Florida. So certainly welcome him down to the Tampa community. And uh, we look for him to uh, get involved in the local Gator club here in Tampa uh, and potentially, uh, you know, make an impact in our community here. So we're excited to have him, but Guys coming in, though, and these are transfers that Kevin O'Sullivan was actually getting while he was, you know, eating out at IHOP in Omaha. And that uh, we already mentioned Kelly Austin, who Neil believes would be the closer next year for Florida or at the very least a solid middle reliever. We brought in a really good defenseman uh, catcher and Tanner Garrison This is from Coastal Carolina. Coastal Carolina is a very respectable baseball program. They made uh, a run in Omaha several years back. They actually knocked us out in the tournament couple of years ago rifles from too that's, that's right pipeline for us yeah yeah no so hopefully that pipeline continues but you know tanner uh is a solid guy who could definitely slot in and replace bt rifle potentially uh i'm not sure he has necessarily the power that bt rifle had coming in but still nonetheless a really good get for the gators and you know of course you also have uh luke Heyman who could play catcher as well or first base so Kevin O'Sullivan's going to have some options there in his lineup. And then, as we mentioned, infielder Colby Shelton, who played third base for Alabama this past year, that honestly is just a complete steal, Neil. I mean, I, that that right there replaces your production of Wyatt Langford. 
I mean, and it really Rivera, is. Because yeah. he's a fielder, I guess. But that's that's just not fair. Steel, I mean, Florida took him away. It was legal. There's no tampering. Don't I don't want to hear any of that. But you know, that was that was robbery. That was theft. That Florida got him away because that essentially keeps your infield, at least from a talent perspective, completely untouched. You know, Halter being the the defensive god that he was this past year for Florida. Yeah. Um, hopefully, he takes a step forward as a hitter. We saw him come through for us at the plate in the NCAA tournament, the big hit against South Carolina um, had a nice hit against TCU too um, in, in pool play at the world series. But now you have a guy that replaces Josh Rivera's power. Um, you have a guy that replaces his slick fielding from, you know, from a mechanic standpoint, from a mechanic standpoint, I'm exhausted. Sorry. But um, yeah, I mean, you have a guy that replaces all the skills that Rivera had and he's, Oh yeah, got two years of eligibility. He's got three years of eligibility. Probably will go pro after his junior year, but will be here for at least two more years. Um, and then, of course, you have your your first baseman in Caglione when he's not pitching, and your second baseman in Curland coming back. Your infield is completely untouched from a what can they do for the Gators standpoint. The outfield, I think, is going to be more difficult to replace. I mean, Wyatt Langford is just a is, is I think a once in a, in a generation type of guy. I don't know the Florida's really going to replace him with anyone but michael robertson hopefully ty evans hopefully could step forward if you remember ty evans didn't have quite the the impressive stat line this season but pretty much every single home run of his was clutch it was either at the college world series or in the ncaa tournament or the walk off to mercy rule miami the game winner against fsu like Every single time he came through for Florida was in a clutch situation, which is something that if you remember how the 21 and 22 seasons ended because Florida couldn't do anything with runners in scoring position because they couldn't get those clutch late game hits. So Florida, you have to think, yeah, they'll probably lose a little bit of power because you lose a a, a top 10 all-time home run guy in White Langford, a number two or three overall draft pick probably. You lose another power hitter in Josh Rivera. Maybe the home run numbers won't quite be there. And it's, it's impossible to ask Cags to replicate what he did last year, shattering the school record for home runs in a single season. In fact, the most home runs anyone has ever hit in the BB core era of college baseball. You can't ask him to match that again, but he'll be back. Colby Shelton will help. You think Cade Curlin might take a step forward too? Um, he had 17 home runs, just casually hitting 17 out of the park. And so, he should have still been in high school. To right, me, that's, exactly. that's impressive, you know. So uh, the point point being, you you can't ask Florida to be quite as productive and from a power standpoint, but in terms of hitting for average, probably could match that, if not exceed that. And the power won't take that much of a step back. The pitching is, is going to be what makes your break Florida next year because the talent is there. We know what Ryan Slater, Cade Fisher – um and yeah, Ryan Slater, Kate Fisher, and Brandon Healy can do from the pen. They're, some of them are going to be moving to the starting spots. Hopefully, Caglione will take that step forward and move a little bit further ahead from the Sunday guy, maybe to a one or a two guy. But if they can translate that into continued success from the pitching standpoint, you have to think Florida is a favorite to be back in Omaha next year. Yeah, and I mean, look. In twenty in twenty sixteen, that team was full of power and production at the plate, and then 
the next year, they came back. They didn't have as much production at the plate, but the pitching was stout. And that's why Florida won a national championship in 2017. So if we can have a staff that replicates that production at the, on the mound and then even is a little bit better at the plate than that team, then a small drop-off isn't going to be hardly noticeable. And Florida is going to win 50-plus games next year, be back in Omaha, and the expectations should be sky high. Uh, certainly having guys progress in their careers and, and stay healthy is a huge component to that. But with the manager of Kevin O'Sullivan, you got to feel pretty good about the production that is possible. That's another thing. We can't have this baseball eulogy, eulogy pod without mentioning that. Oh, yeah, by the way, for all else they did, Florida broke its own school record with 54 wins in a single season. They were the second team in school history to win a game in the college world series championship series. So they were the only, uh, you know, it was them in 2017 to not get swept in the CWS final 17 team, of course, winning it and this team going three games, but yeah, just some more records that this team happened to knock out of the park uh, throughout the course of a season. So special team for sure, Chris, special, yep. special, special. Yep. And it's been a pleasure covering it with you all. So I think that's going to put a wrap on this one. And we thank you all for listening to our baseball content. We love that we can bring it to you and certainly have uh, the knowledge base that Neil brings to this, this program. And uh, we look forward to next season, but Neil, it's time for football. It is time for football season. I'm excited to talk about it. We will talk about it on the next episode of the in all kinds weather forecast. Uh, but we thank you so much for listening. And before we go, really quick, want to shout out uh, our partners. Alma Mater has been a great new partner with the In All Kinds Weather Forecast. You can check out their stuff by going to our website, inallkindsweather.com, and clicking the header at the top where Alma Mater is showcasing some of their new merchandise. Uh, unfortunately, they won't be covering uh, a championship baseball apparel, but they do have those relentless reptile t-shirts uh, to sh- commemorate i think what many will always remember this team for is they were the relentless reptiles of 2023 so go in there buy that t-shirt or get ready for the football season to start buying some of that merch uh for your to look good at all those tailgates and the games you'll be attending and then also neil want to go ahead and mention one of our good partners who has made some pretty big announcements this week and that is the gator good foundation we know the game now that they will be going to and sending a lucky Gator fan to. That is going to be the Arkansas Razorbacks game in the first weekend of November. Should be beautiful weather and a great opponent to send a lucky Gator fan to. And a caveat to this year is we're looking primarily for a military family um, or somebody who served in the military uh, in their career. And certainly want to honor and thank them for their service by sending them to their first Florida Gator football game. So please be on the lookout for more updates on that. But with that, Neil, put a close. This was the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. Shout out to the 2023 Relentless Reptiles.